Well, good morning and welcome once again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. We are so thankful to have all of you here with us this morning, whether you're here in the auditorium or out in the courtyard or you are part of our live stream audience. We are just thankful and blessed to spend our Sunday here with you as we dig into another portion of God's Word. Um, it's great to see all of you this morning, but a special shout out to uh, Mandy and Robert Beecher who are here with Baby Boy Beecher. And if you can say that five times fast, I have a prize for you. Um, but we are so excited to have them here, and I'm sure that Grandma Judy is just as excited to have them with us this morning, so make sure that you get a chance to greet them and say hello to them this morning as well. It is just a beautiful day, and we're getting closer and closer to Easter Sunday, and I hope that you guys are just as excited about that as I am. But today, we are going to continue on our series in the book of Nehemiah. Now, I hope that you're enjoying this series as much as I am, because it just amazes me over and over and over again how applicable we find these stories in the Old Testament. And a lot of people kind of shy away from the Old Testament because they say things like, well, that's the Old Covenant. We're not really, you know, we're not under that Old Covenant anymore. And that, that is true to an extent. But there are so many great stories that we can learn from the Old Testament. And I feel like Nehemiah is one of those stories because Nehemiah is such a great leader. And he does such a great job of leading the people in a godly way. And some of you may be saying, well, I'm not a leader, I'm not a boss, I'm not a manager, but that doesn't matter because we're all in charge of leading something, whether it's our families, whether it is at work or a team or whatever the case may be, we're all leading in some way or another. So please don't tune this out and say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a boss, so this doesn't apply to me because that's really not the case. Nehemiah was just a great and godly leader, and I love the way that he went about his business. And we've talked a lot about that over the last few weeks, and we'll talk a little bit more about it today, but I'm amazed at how today's story is so applicable to the situation that we find ourselves in right now. Now, obviously, when the Old Testament was written, or when this, this book was written some 24 uh, hundred years ago, or whatever the case may be, uh, they obviously weren't writing for the pandemic that was going to happen in 2021 and 2020. But it's very much so applicable. And I think you'll find as we go through this today and as we talk through some of these points today, I think you're going to draw some pretty close parallels to some of the things that we are going through right now. So if you were with us last week, you know that what we focused on was the enemies from quote-unquote outside the walls. We talked about the fact that how Nehemiah and his workers, if you want to call them that, were actually uh, you know, in fear to some extent because they had people outside the walls that were threatening to attack them. And as we wrapped up last week, we talked about the fact that some of these workers actually would have, you know, a shovel in one hand and a, and a sword in the other because they had to be ready to protect themselves from these enemies from without side of the walls. Well, today we're going to look at the opposite of that and we're going to look at what happens with the enemies inside the walls. And as you'll notice, the title was The Enemies Within. And that's what we're going to focus on today as we go through our lesson. So... Let's look at the bottom line for today. Just like in the days of Nehemiah, sometimes the biggest threat to us is us. Now that may get your attention. That may make it, cause you to, to raise your eyebrows a little bit and you're going, wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean by that? And that's what we're going to look at is what happens when the biggest thing we have to worry about isn't necessarily outside of the walls but it's inside of the wall. So we're going to spend some time today in some self-reflection as well. But here's, here's the problem. 
If there's injustice happening in our world, it breaks God's hearts. If Christians are not loving God and loving each other and loving their neighbors, it breaks God's heart. If the church is not helping the poor in our communities, it breaks God's heart. And lastly, but certainly not least, when that happens, then true restoration is not happening. Because we have to remember that in this story of Nehemiah, he's not only trying to repair the physical walls of the city and the wooden gates of the city, he's trying to restore the people. He's trying to restore the community. Much like as we move forward past this pandemic, we have to turn our focus on how we restore our church family and how we restore our church and our community as well. But when these things are happening, then it breaks God's heart. As Christ followers, the things that break God's heart should break our heart. Let that sink in just for a minute. The things that break God's heart should break our hearts. When we see that poor people are not being taken care of, when we see that our brothers and sisters are struggling and we don't help them, that breaks God's heart. And that should break our heart as well. And that's what we're going to look at is when the problem is coming from within. So let's jump into the scripture. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to read along with me. Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through about 12 here this morning. But we're going to start out in Nehemiah chapter 5. Now remember, last week we kind of left off. They were working on the wall. They had everybody from the high priests to the perfume makers working on the wall and also defending the city from those bad guys that we talked about last week who were trying to stop the progress on the wall. But we pick up in chapter 5. It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Now I want to point that out to you. That when they raised this outcry, it wasn't against those guys we talked about last week, right? It wasn't against the people from the surrounding nations. It was against their own people. These are also the chosen people of God that we're talking about. It says, some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Now they're talking about that, hey, look, I've got a big family. I've got lots of kids. We got to do something to take care of our families. Because remember, especially back in these days, they had a lot of kids because they needed a lot of help. Right? They needed kids to, to work the fields and to work their professions and to help with the family. It says, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain during the famine. Now, here's another one of those places that as we read through Scripture, we really have to pay attention to what we're reading. You notice that last line says, during the famine. So let's set this scene a little bit. The, the land is in, in the midst of a famine. People are, are going hungry. And you've got this group of people led by Nehemiah who have basically stopped whatever it was that they did, whether it was farming, uh, whether it was, as we talked about last week, perfume making, tent making, whatever the case may be, they've stopped doing their professions to build this wall. They've stopped their way of life, their way of gaining gainful employment in order to build the wall, in order to do God's work. And this sets the scene for what we're going to dive into today. As we pick up in verse 6, it says, Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. So again, 
Taxes, right? We, some things never change, right? <laughs> we pay taxes today. If you look at the gas tax, in my opinion, we pay too much in taxes. But, but Persia, right, was taxing these people almost to the point of no return. And they're talking about, look, we're having to borrow money just to pay our taxes. It says, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. It says, some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Put yourself in their situation. How desperate would you have to be to sell your children into slavery to put food on the table? These are desperate times we're talking about. These are desperate times. You would have to be awfully desperate to sell your children into slavery just to pay the bills. But I think it's important that we understand the reality of this situation and the gravity of this situation. These people are getting desperate. And remember, they have, they have, they have jumped on this bandwagon of, hey, we're going to restore the city. Because remember, the city was in ruins, God's name was in ruins, and the people themselves were in ruins. But as you can see, this is a pretty desperate situation that we're looking at. We're going to pick up in verse 6. It says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. What breaks God's heart should break our heart. Nehemiah, again, being our good example of not only a Christian man, but a Christian leader, it made him angry. This injustice that was happening to his people that he had recruited to build this wall made him angry. Does it make us angry when we see people being mistreated? Does it make us angry when we see people in need who could be helped and they're not being helped? Now, we, we assume, based on the context of this, that this has probably been going on for a while. This isn't just something that happened overnight. This has been something that's been brewing, where they've had to be mortgaging their fields, where they've had to be uh, sending their children into slavery. This is something that's been going on for a while. This isn't just one day all of a sudden, oh, wait, what happened here? This has been brewing. This has been going on for quite some time. But now it's kind of come to a head, and people have finally said, enough is enough. Nehemiah, we got to do something here. This isn't working. So they've brought it to him, and he says he was angry. And then I love the first part of verse 7. It says, I pondered them in my mind. See, again, Nehemiah is such a good example for us. Because he got angry, but what did he do? He stopped and thought about it. What happens when we get angry? Do we lash out at people? Do we yell? Do we throw things? Do we punch a wall? Do we go on social media and fire off a tweet or a post? That's not what Nehemiah teaches us to do. It says, yes, he was angry, but then he stopped and thought about it. He didn't do something rash. He stopped and thought about it, and he planned. Remember what happened when Nehemiah went to the city for the first time? He spent days in meditation and in prayer and in fasting. Because see, Nehemiah, as our example, doesn't just fly off the handle and do things irrationally. He stopped and thought about it. It says, I pondered them in my mind, and then accused the nobles and the officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. 
So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. He thought about it. He pondered it. And then he went and made this accusation. He didn't just fly off the handle. He stopped and thought about it, and he prepared for it. And he says, hey, wait a minute. You guys are charging your own people interest. Which back in this, in this time and place, you know, it, it, these are all the Jews that are supposed to be working together as God's chosen people to rebuild the city. And what's happening is, is they're taking advantage of one another. The haves, right, are taking advantage of the have-nots. Those that are struggling are looking to these people that can help them, and the people that can help them are lying in their own pockets. The people that can help them are saying, oh, I'll help you, but what am I going to get out of this deal? Now, to some of you, you're saying, well, that's just how business is done. That's what we do, right? When we go to the bank, the bank doesn't just give us money for free. But this is a little bit different. This was the Jewish people who were supposed to be a family, who were supposed to be working together. And instead, they were taking advantage of one another. Verse 8 says, And I said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. It says, now you're selling your own people. So he's saying, look, we, we got back the Jews, right, from the Gentiles, but now you're selling your own people. It says, only for them to be sold back to us. It says, they keep quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued. So again, we've got Nehemiah who is accusing them, right, of mistreating their own people. And it says the people he's talking to, these officials, have nothing to say. It says, so I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? So he's reminding them, this is not how God would have you to treat your fellow people. You're not walking in the way of God. You've become greedy and you've lost focus. We know, right, at another point in the Bible, what does it say about money? It's what? It's the root of all evil. It's the root of all evil. And these people had let that become a thing, right? Instead of helping the people who were in need, and, and I, think, I can't help but think when I read this about the early church in Acts chapter 2. What did they do? brought everything together and helped everyone, right? They pooled their wealth, so to speak, to make sure that everybody had what they needed. That's not what was happening in Nehemiah. They were doing just the opposite. Instead of coming together and saying, yes, how can we help you? How can we make sure everybody's got enough to eat? They were saying, oh, sure, I'll give you money, but it's going to cost you. Verse 9 says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. It says, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses. And also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. So Nehemiah is basically coming to them and saying, look, a, you need to stop what you're doing, and B, you need to give it all back. Because this is not how we're supposed to treat one another. 
And this, this is such a perfect example of it, the way we should be treating each other within our church fellowship. Right? If we're able to help a brother and sister who's in need, we should help that person without our own personal interests involved. If somebody came to you and said, look, I'm having trouble putting food on the table, and you're in a position to help that person, wouldn't you want to do that without gaining anything from that? You're not going to go and hand them a check while, while taking a selfie, right, and posting it on social media to say, look what I did. No, you do it because you love them. Because you know it breaks God's heart that they're in this position. And if you're in a position to help, we help. See, we've kind of lost focus on the early church. And we always say, yes, we want to model ourselves after the early church, and that's true. But we've lost the focus of the community aspect of the early church. And that's exactly what we have going on here. See, they had lost focus that they were all one people working towards one goal. And it became all about the haves and the have-nots. And Nehemiah is basically calling them out and saying, guys, what are we doing? we got to stop. This is not how we're supposed to treat one another. Let's look at verse 12. It says, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. It says, then I summoned the priests and I made the, made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I love that. I love kind of how this, this section of the story ends, right? Nehemiah goes to these people, right? And he says, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And we read just a minute ago, it says they were quiet. And then when he gets done, they basically just said, okay, we'll give it all back. God is not mentioned in Nehemiah chapters 5 in verses 1 through 12. He's not mentioned, but he sure is working through Nehemiah. And see, sometimes just like in our world that we live in right now, we have to look for God in the story. It'd be really easy to read through this and be like, God's not mentioned. This was all Nehemiah. But we know from what we've read that Nehemiah was a man of God who spent a lot of time in prayer and that God is leading him to do all of these amazing things. See, God is working through Nehemiah, and even though Nehemiah is not, or God is not mentioned, he's certainly there. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're in this situation that maybe you don't understand or that's really hard, and you're like, God is just not here right now. God isn't listening. He's not hearing my prayers right now. God is always there. We just have to look for him in the situation. And, and I, just, I just love verse 12, where basically the people that he's accusing of these wrongdoings just say, you got me. Yeah, you're right. Okay, we're going to do that. And they're going to make it right. Because what would have happened in this story if they didn't make it right? Do you think the walls would have been rebuilt? Do you think the gates would have been rebuilt? How much longer could people have gone through this famine that they're going through and losing everything that they have before people would have just said, you know what, Nehemiah, you're on your own, dude. I got to go. But God worked through the story. I want to look at Mark chapter 12, verse 31. It talks exactly about what we've been talking about all morning. It says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love your God, love your neighbor. 
And that's exactly what we've been talking about. See, the people in our story from Nehemiah today had forgotten the love your neighbor part, and they had gotten greedy. They were charging people interest just so that they could put food on the table. What a scary feeling that must have been, that their own people were taking advantage I want to skip a little bit farther ahead in Nehemiah because, again, we don't, unfortunately, we just don't have time to read the whole thing. But what did Nehemiah do? So, so he's gone to these people and he said, hey, knock it off. And they've said, okay, okay, okay. Now, he did make them sign an oath, right, because he wanted to make sure they were going to follow through with what they were doing. But let's jump ahead to Nehemiah 5.17 and see what happens. And this will kind of put a bow on, on this part of the story anyway. It says, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. It says, each day one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. It says, and every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allowed to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. I love this. What does Nehemiah do? And again, it'd be really easy just to read this and say, okay, they had a meal. But, but look at what they did. He invited everybody to the table. He invited the people who had been taken advantage of, and he invited the people who were taking advantage of them. You think you've had some uncomfortable family dinners. Think about that. The people who were being taken advantage of, who had to sell their children into slavery, and the people that forced them to do it are all at the same table. As are the people from the surrounding nations. And if you remember back a few lessons back, right, we talked about what, what happens with Jerusalem. The surrounding nations were not friendly nations. These were not friends of the Jewish people. These are people who wanted the Jews to fail in their efforts to rebuild the city of God. So what does he do? He invites them all to come to the table. And there's something very important towards the end of this verse where it says, I never demanded the food allowed to the governor. Nehemiah did this out of his own pocket. He didn't ask for anything. And he took care of these people and said, look, I'm going to take care of it. And he brought the people together. See, the first, the first part of this, you know, verses 1 through 12, is all about the, this, this family, right? The, these people being ripped apart by greed. But, but what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah brings them all back together. He sits them down at the table. The oppressed and the oppressors, he sits them all at the table together and says, let's break bread together. It's just such a good story, and it's so relatable to some of the things that we see going on in our own world. Social injustice is running rampant. Racial injustice, gender injustice, financial injustice are all happening, and they break God's heart. And therefore, it should break our hearts as well. I want to take just a moment and look at the background during this time 
of this writing of Nehemiah. And then we're going to look at our background today. There was a famine in the land. Does that sound familiar? Heavy taxes from Persia. Those who have were taking advantage of those who have not. They were having to take out loans to buy food. They were losing their homes to work on the wall. Their children were being sold into slavery. What are we facing now? We're facing something very similar right now. And I hope and pray that none of these things have happened to you. But I promise you, they are happening to people during this time. There's people who can't pay their rent. Much like those people who were building the wall, who had lost their their income, who had lost their way of providing for their families, people have lost their jobs because of the pandemic, and they can't pay rent. The number of people who have been homeless has exponentially raised since the pandemic happened because so many people have either lost their job or had their their salaries reduced or their hours reduced because of this pandemic. And it's made it very, very difficult for them. Using credit cards just to put food on the table. And the reason I say that is because it reminds me of this story, right? They were having to pay interest just to feed their families. People have had to do that during the pandemic because they don't have enough money to feed their families. People are hurting. People are struggling. And people are feeling powerless. The parallels between what the people were going through during our story in Nehemiah and the things that people are going through today are crazy. It's amazing how similar that story is to our story right now. And these things breaks God's heart. And they very well should break our hearts as well. So what do we do? How do we act like Nehemiah? How do we bring things back together? How do we fix things? Well, just like Nehemiah, we may get angry, but we also have to pause and ponder. We have to think about and pray about How can we help the people that are in need? And just like Nehemiah does over and over again, we have to to think about our own situation. Think about our own situation. You know, he said during our, our scripture a few minutes ago that he had been giving loans as well. But then we got to take action, right? We got to take some action. And you're saying, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. What can we do to help others during this difficult time? What can we do to help others? Maybe you're in a position where you can help. Maybe you're in a position where you have not lost a paycheck during the pandemic. And you've come out of this okay, and I hope and pray that all of you are. But maybe you're in a position where you have done really well during the pandemic and your money has held you through and you've been just fine. About 90% of Americans are about to get a stimulus check. And I see lots of people talking about how they're going to spend those checks. Now, don't get me wrong. For some of you, 
you, you need that money to pay bills and to put food on the table. But for some of us, maybe we're going to have some of that money left over. What can we do to help people who are in need? What can we do to help others who maybe are struggling to put food on the table and to pay rent? There are so many amazing Christian organizations that you can give to that can help with that. You can, of course, give to the church, and then we support our missionaries and our, and our food pantry and things like that. But just think about that. If you've done really well during the pandemic and you have this check coming, how can we help others and be blessed to be a blessing? Now, we know all the way back to the days of Abraham, right? What did God tell Abraham? He says, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. And if God has blessed us, shouldn't we be a blessing to others? I'm not telling you how to spend your money. It's not what I'm here to do. But I just want you to think about how can we use some of that money that we may have to be blessed, to be a blessing to help others. We're a church family. We love each other. We do things for each other. We help each other. Think about ways that you may be able to help your brothers and sisters so that we're not acting like those in Nehemiah's day that instead of helping one another, we're taking advantage of one another. Next week, we'll pick up and we will continue with chapter 6 as we get ready to continue to unpack uh, the book of Nehemiah. So I want to urge you to go ahead and read ahead if you have the opportunity to do so. And in just a moment, uh, Brandon's going to come up and we are going to have a song of invitation. If we can help you in any way, if we can pray for you, maybe, maybe you've fallen into these tough times that we're talking about and you just need somebody to talk to and somebody to pray with, we would love to pray with you and help you in any way. Or maybe you've never had a chance to be baptized. For the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have an opportunity to do that this morning so that when you walk out that door this morning, you are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way, I want to encourage you to come forward as we stand together and as we sing. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. Well, what a perfect song to end on today as we were just looking at Nehemiah trying to rebuild the kingdom of God back then. And as we get ready to start focusing on rebuilding our kingdom here, as the song says, we are the hope here on earth. Just a couple quick announcements for you before we dismiss. I want to remind everybody um, about our Easter service that we have coming up. It's going to be in, what is it, two? Is it two weeks from today already? We're getting that close to Easter already. Uh, so Easter is coming up. It's a great opportunity for you to invite someone to join you Easter Sunday here at church. It's one of those days that even people who are uh, non-believers, they even think about going to church on that day, and they're just waiting for someone to ask. So 
Who better to ask than for you to ask? So I want to encourage you just to invite some folks to either join us live here at the building or for our online services. Also, if you were here last week, you know that we announced that our children's ministry will resume that morning as well. Um, they're actually going to meet over on the preschool playground at 1030 that morning. So I want to remind you about Easter. Also want to remind you about our Wednesday night Bible study. It's at 7 o'clock via Zoom with our brother Glenn Roberts. He is teaching through the book of Genesis. So kind of going back to where it all began. It's just a great opportunity for you to come together in the middle of the week, kind of recharge the batteries so that you can finish the week strong and get you back here to Sunday morning. Also want to let everybody know that on Wednesday, April the 7th, if you have a child in that's going to be in sixth grade next year, so they'd be in fifth grade this year, we're going to invite them to join us for youth group on Wednesday, April the 7th at 6.30 here at the building. And we're going to give them kind of a little preview of what they can expect when they come to youth group. So keep that in mind, parents of fifth graders, on April the 7th, we want to invite your soon-to-be sixth grader uh, to youth group so they can get an idea of what they are in for next year. Uh, Would you please join me as we close in prayer this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that we've had to come together, whether it be here in person or in this virtual space. We're just thankful that despite our circumstances, we are able to come together, block out the world for an hour, and just focus our hearts and our minds on you. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just continue to allow us to be a family in this church and allow us to work together and work for one another and just to help each other out. Much like the people in Nehemiah, they had lost their way. If we've lost our way, Heavenly Father, help us to refocus our family on you and what you would have us to do. Just help us to see the things that break your heart and help it to break our hearts too. And not only to break our hearts, but to cause us to take action so that we can continue to do the work of the church and be a light to those around us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for all that you bless us with. And most of all, we thank you for sending your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Have a wonderful week.